As we come to the scripture, let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, um, we're grateful for your word. Um, as the psalm which we will read says, it's a light to our feet and a lamp uh, to us. And we know that it marks out our steps, the way that we should, the way that we should live. And so I pray that it will be that for us on this day and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, turn please to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, I want to read verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> Psalm 119, please. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. And then together we say, The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Taking up this passage, uh, primarily just as I begin to think this through and pray this through, is is this is the season of the church of Lent. We don't take a great deal of time to think that through, but, but, but Lent for in the Christian year is to Easter as Advent is to Christmas, if you will. It's a sense of preparation, a time of anticipation. And, uh, and as we had Advent that led to Christmas, if you will, we thinking about uh, the coming of Jesus. Now he's come, of course, and, and we're thinking through his life, uh, his life of humility and suffering that takes him to, of course, and through the cross uh, to his resurrection. So, so that's this season of the year we trust the ark that's around the building will help you as you contemplate this this time and the sufferings and the life and the work of in the work of Christ. And it begins, Lent does, uh, with the passage that I read earlier from Luke chapter four, the the tempting of Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, it has echoes of Genesis chapter three. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, the evil one came to Eve initially and distorted the word of God. And she ended up following the evil one's word, trusting in his word rather than in the word of God. Now, when Jesus is confronted with the evil one, uh, as he begins his ministry, if you will, uh, uh, he does exactly the opposite. He trusts in God's word. And so that led me to this psalm. Because this psalm really is a celebration of, of the word of God. It, it's written very carefully. Some of you probably know, maybe all of you know, that this is an acrostic psalm. If you look at your Bible, uh, most translations uh, as this um, particular group of verses 1 through 8 began, it, it has this word Aleph. And then if you look at 9 through 16, it has the word Beit. And then the word, and then beginning in verse 17, it has the, the word Gimel that kind of um, uh, uh, precedes all of that. That's because these are letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so what we find here, since there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, uh, we find 22 stanzas 
Each stanza then um, um, is dedicated to that Hebrew letter and every verse in that stanza begins with that letter. So in these verses one through eight, um, in the Hebrew language, uh, every verse, be- the first word begins with a word that has the letter Aleph as its beginning. If this were English, we'd have 26 standards, the stanzas in the first eight verses. Uh, these uh, would all begin with the letter A and the second group with the letter B and so forth and so on. So that's so you get this sense that here's a very creative person. It's not the only acrostic psalm. There's some others that, that, that have at least bits and pieces of this kind of technique. But, but it's, it's, it's a poetic kind of sense here. And, and, and what the psalmist is doing for us is he's, He's laying out a prayer. He's laying out a song, really, to celebrate um, the word of God. It's, it's, it's a delight uh, to him. It's, it's repetitive. I don't know if you've ever, I'm, I trust you have, uh, sat down to read the whole of Psalm 119 because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet and because there's eight verses in each of these stanzas, there's 176 verses. It's long. And I find myself, when I read through it, it's, it's so repetitive that I, I kind of lose a bit as I'm going through it. I have to keep kind of waking myself up a bit. Okay, let's do this again. He's just talking about the same thing. It seems over and over and over again. And we wonder, why is he doing that? It's because he so delights in God's word that he just wants to keep thinking about it and thinking about it and and thinking about it. Uh, You'll notice, uh, for instance, in, in verse 14, he says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight. And then in verse 16, he says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And then in verse, in verse 20, he says, my, cons- my, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules um, all the time, at all times. Then verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They're my counselors. Then in uh, the second half of, of verse 35, he says, for I delight in it, uh, and then in verse uh, forty-seven, for I find my delight in your commandments. Verse forty-eight, uh, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And then in verse seventy, uh, the second half of verse seventy, but I delight in your law. And then verse verse ninety-two, he says, for your, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And then Psalm ninety-seven, oh how I love your law. Then verse. Hundred and three. How sweet are your words to my to my taste? And then verse one hundred and eleven. They are the joy of my heart. Uh, verse one hundred nineteen. Uh, he says, "I love your testimonies." Verse one hundred twenty-seven. He says, "I love your commandments." Verse one hundred twenty-nine. He says, "Your testimonies are are wonderful." Um, verse one hundred forty. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. Verse one. 143, he says, but your commandments are, are my delight. Verse 159, he says, I love your precepts. 162, he says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. He says, there's everything I could ever want here. It's, it's like somebody who has great spoil, everything they could ever want or need. Then verse 174, he says, where I long for your salvation, O Lord, your law is my uh, delight. It's as if the scripture never gets old for him. You get the sense that he, when he wakes up in the morning, he says, oh good, I get to read the Bible again. You know? He says that, here I find uh, my delight. It, it never 
never gets old for him. And, 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 and creatively, he uses a number of different words for the scripture, for the Bible that he has. Less of it than we have, of course. We have the New Testament, plus we have, we have even portions of the Old Testament he probably didn't have. But, but he, for him, he, he loves it so that he uses a variety of different words. And as, as we read through, almost every verse has one of these words in it that stand for or are used for the Bible, the Word of God. And in every stanza, every eight-verse grouping, uh, almost all these words are used. It's, it's amazing. We can just see them in, 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 in the, the, the passage that I read. For instance, in verse 1, he refers to it as the law of the Lord or, or the instruction of the Lord. The word is Torah. We know what that means. It's the, it's the covenant of God. It's God's instructions to us about who he is and who we are and how we're to live in him. Uh, verse 2, where he, he calls the scripture testimonies, a witness. It's God's witness, if you will, of, of himself. And then in verse 4, his precepts, every detail, every line, every precepts, is the authority, uh, has the very authority of God. His statutes, they're binding upon us. They're permanent, if you will. His commandments, uh, saying that he, God has the authority to tell us what to do, if you will, tell us how to live. And he expects, therefore, our obedience uh, to that. Verse 7, his rules, or could also be translated, his judgments, that is, that is uh, God is the standard, God is the judge of all things. Everything is judged or evaluated by, by him. Uh, uh, again, verse 8, he uses uh, uh, statutes again. Then in verse 11, he said, I've stored up my words. So he uses this word, word, for the scripture. It's the very word of God. Um, and, and then, uh, I'm sorry, that's verse 9. And then verse 11, uh, the ESV has this word, translated word again, but generally they translate it as his promises, God's promises. So we have... We have law or instruction, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments or rules, word, promises, all of these things referencing uh, the word of God. Sometimes they'll give us some help in understanding what the psalmist is about. Now, what's fascinating is we don't know who wrote this. There's no identification as to whom this author is. David, we don't know. We don't know who this author is. You get the sense, though, in his delight in the word of God, that what he wants us to be impressed with is not him, but God's word. His desire is for his word, God's word, to be our delight as it is his. his He's very honest. He's honest about his life and his own struggles. We can see in verse 9, the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? You get the sense is that this is very reflective of his own life. He's thinking through when he was a young man, the struggle that he had with purity. So how is it that a young man can keep his way pure? Uh, in verse 25, we see his discouragement. My soul clings to the dust. We get a sense of what that means in his own life. We get a sense of, of his struggle with, 
with sin and temptation. Verse 29, put false ways far from me. Graciously uh, teach me uh, your, your law. And then in verses 36 and 37, he says, incline my ear to your testimony and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. You can, you can just feel that temptation, the temptation I, I have in my Bible just in the parenthesis or just in the side margin I, I simply wrote uh, the American problem right these are all American problems but 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 to, to take me away from desiring selfish gain or take my eyes away from worthless things and we see in verse 67 he says before I was afflicted I went astray so so he knows trouble he knows affliction he knows pain whether that's from enemies or from his own soul this affliction that he that he feels and then he ends it the very last verse in all of this, verse 176, he says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. So he knows real life. He knows what it really is to live under God. You get a sense that this one who writes this is a mature one, that his hands are worn, that his back is bent, that his hair is gray, that his brow is wrinkled, all of that. And he knows from which he speaks. And so he writes to us of this this life. That's the great value of the Psalms Uh, as a whole. We know that this particular book is unique in the scripture in the sense that it's primarily songs. It's primarily prayers. It's the expression of the hearts of people who live in covenant with God. They tell us how the life that we live feels. How it's to be yes but also how it feels to be one who lives in covenant with God. And it gives us voice, it gives us words to express our feelings, our emotions, if you will, to God in prayer and in praise, whether we're having struggles or or, or life is good. However it is, it gives us language, you see, for for us to speak to God. And one of the great values here is this, Word is inspired by God. So we know this is all okay. As, as, they, as they speak to God, we can take this language and we can pray these words and we can, we can feel these feelings and we can express our praise to God as they did. And we say, well, good. This is, this is what a real person who's living in covenant with God really, really feels. They knew the whole range, if you will, of human experience. They knew these psalmists, this one in particular, all of our struggles. Oh, they were different struggles, I suppose. Their computers didn't die and they didn't have problems with finding the remote and all those big issues that we face. But they were human beings. They understood fear. They understood insecurity. They understood want and need. They understood um, sorrow. And they understood joy and they understood happiness and all of that. They understood that just as we and, and what God provides for us in the Psalms is, is a validation of feelings and also a way to express them to him in our prayers and in our, our praises. God was no theoretical being to the psalmist. He was real. He was one who 
who heard. And he was the one who loved. And he was the one who acted. Uh, He was real. Because he is. And they knew that. And the psalmist then says, I need to tell you something. And so as we begin in these first couple of verses, the first three verses of Psalm 119 are unique, except for a couple of exceptions, are unique to the whole psalm. Because these three verses are the psalmist, perhaps even God, speaking to us as opposed to the psalmist speaking to God. In other words, these three verses kind of introduce the whole psalm, if you will. They tell us fact and then Everything else is a response to what we learn in these first three verses. Um, It gives us this hook, if you will. It begins with the word blessed. In a sense, he says, listen, if you want to live a life that's blessed, if you want to know the blessed life, then this psalm is for you. This is the blessed life I'm going to lay out for you. Uh, A life of, 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 of... of great blessing, you see. That's that's the hook. So what does it mean to be blessed? Well, uh, literally, I mean, we could really translate the word blessed as happy, but that, that seems really kind of shallow for us. Uh, the English word happy uh, it has this little prefix hap, I suppose, which the root of it means luck. So we think about happenstance or happening or haphazard, and we think things just sort of happen uh, out of the blue. And, and it's certainly not that. It's something way deeper than that, of course. It's just that we're affected by circumstances. In fact, the truth of the matter is there's something so deep that we live through various circumstances, some of deep struggle, and remain blessed in the midst of them. Sometimes we go through struggles, we lose our happiness as we understand happiness, but we don't lose blessedness because it's it's deeper. It's a sense of contentment. It's a sense of peace. It's even a sense of a deep abiding joy that can't be snuffed out, you see. It's deeper than than all of that. Of course, this psalmist is no prosperity preacher. Uh, he, he knows real life. He knows affliction. He knows all of that, as we mentioned. But, but, but still, he's saying, in the midst of all that, there's still this blessed, this blessedness. And, and so that's, that's the hook for us. He's saying, do you want this? Do you want this kind of life? You know, as we, as we watch TV and other things and uh, our news feeds, all the commercials are promising a blessed life. I mean, that's really what they're after uh, deep down, that, that your life can be so good if you just use this product that everybody will want to be you. Everybody will envy you, just like you're envying all those people on the commercial. Look at them. I want to be that. And they say, well, just if you have this, if you take this, if you do this trip or whatever it is, uh, the, the advertising, then, 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 then your, life will be, your life will be blessed. But we know that really isn't true. I mean, deep down we know that those products will fail us, will wear out, need to be replaced. Something new is going to happen. You know that. 
Probably 80% of us this morning are dissatisfied with our phones because the new ones come out. And as soon as they do, we look at our phones and we go, oh, this is trash. Right? And so these things are just temporary. The psalmist is saying there's a way of life that's permanently blessed. You can live in it eternally. You can live in it always. It can never be taken away. It's, it's that kind of life. And he says, this is what I want to, to really lay out for you. You know, there's chilling words of Jesus. I'm going to go back to this in my own life so often. When Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? And when he talks about somebody who's gained the whole world, he's talking about the person who has everything that everybody ever wants, it seems, that they have everything. They're, they're that person that other people look at and envy and say, I wish that were my life. And he says, what if you gained all of that and at the end of the day, you realize that, that your whole life was just a game of trivial pursuit? All these things that you have are ultimately not worth anything uh, because you've lost your own soul. And so the psalmist is saying, here's how to live so you won't lose your soul. Here's how to live that you'll have all the blessing of life, real life. This is it for you. He says, don't, don't, don't lose that. It's this person who lives really in covenant with God. The person who knows the blessing of God. That great blessing we talked about last Sunday for the 79 of you who were here in the midst of the projected snowstorm. But this sense, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He says, you can know that. That's the blessing of God. That's the favor of God upon you. Because you, if you know that God is for you, who can be against you? If you know that God loves you, then what could separate you from that love? None of these circumstances, none of these things. So the blessed man lives in the midst of that, lives in that covenant. And, and the way that he puts it is like this. He says, he said, blessed are those whose way is blameless. And when I first read that, my heart just sinks. And I think, well, that can't be me. How could I be blameless? Only Jesus is blameless. And then I think, well, good. I'm blameless in him. I'm holy and blameless in his sight. His righteousness to me. And the psalmist, I think, would say, that's all well and good. But that's not exactly what I mean here. Your life flows from that. But your blessedness comes in living that out. Even Jesus said, you have these words of mine, blessed are you if you do them. So the psalmist is saying, this is a walk, this is a journey, this is a, a way of life. It's not sinlessness. If it was being sinless, then none of us could be blameless. But we know throughout the scripture that Abraham is called to be blameless and called blameless. We know that David is called to be blameless and is said to be blameless. David, the adulterer. David, the murderer. David, the liar. Job is said to be blameless. In the New Testament, Zechariah, who's the father of John the Baptist, is said to be 
blameless. What does that mean? It doesn't mean sinless. We know these people all sinned, but they were blameless. Why is that? The word blameless means to have integrity or be single-minded. That is, that the foundational principle of life is settled. That is, I belong to God. Because of anything that I've done, but because of his grace. You see, Abraham was accepted by God, not because he was sinless, but because he trusted. Genesis 15, verse 6 said that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified. He was accepted by God, not on the basis of what he had done, but on the basis of what God had promised him, what God had said to him, you see. And he was then to live a life faithful to this covenant that God had made. Same was true for all the other patriarchs. Same is true, if you will, for us. We live in this covenant and we're to live blameless. What does that mean? It means we're to live faithful to it. What does that mean? It means we're to follow after God. Uh, For our um, assurance of our forgiveness of sin this morning, I read from, uh, we read from Psalm 32. Um, This is one of the Psalms that David writes after his uh, grievous sin with uh, Bathsheba. Um, Psalm 51 is the other one. This is Psalm 32. After he is confronted by the prophet and he confesses his sin, he writes, Blessed, this is the blessed life. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. As by the heat of summer, I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The blameless one is the one who's honest before God. He knows his sin. He confesses and he knows the promise of God. He receives the forgiveness of God and he walks then in this forgiveness. The blameless one, uh, the one who is single-minded, single-hearted towards, towards God. So notice what he says about this blameless one. He defines it through the verses that follow. He says, Blessed is the one whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, that is, God's own witness about himself. He keeps that. And how does God witness to us about himself? What did he tell us about himself? He says he's gracious and he's slow to anger. He's merciful, he's compassionate, he's loving, he's just. Trust him, he says. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. He also, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. That is to say, that's his aspiration to walk in his ways. That's his desire, if you will, to walk in his ways. And then verse 4 is the summary of all that. Uh, You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. This is the blessed life. So how does the psalmist respond to all that? 
I mean, that's the, that's the fact of it. You want to live a blessed life? He says, walk in the, in, in the law of the Lord. Uh, keep his testimony. Seek him with your whole heart. Uh, don't do any wrong, but walk in his ways. Why? Because God has commanded his precepts to be kept dis- diligently. That's, that's the way of life you're to live. And then verse 5, he starts to pray. And he continues to pray. <laughs> and what does he pray? Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. God help me. God help me. If this is the blessed life, then God help me. Um, and he says, if you answer that prayer, verse 6, then I shall not be put to shame. I can't depend upon myself, but I can depend upon you to help me. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous Rules. He says, he says, God, help me. I'm going to fix my eyes on your commandments. Help me to learn your righteous rules, your judgments, how you evaluate all of life. God, in this world where there are many gods, may I learn to love you and to worship you alone. Lord, in this world where there's much idolatry, when everyone is saying who they think you are and following who they think you are, may I know you and learn you and follow you alone. Lord, in this world where your name, your person is dishonored, may I learn to honor you. That's the blessed life. May I learn to honor you. God, in this world of that's frenetic, that's, that's filled with anxiety. May I learn to rest, to trust, to rest in you, that, that you will supply all of my needs, that I can, I can rest in you, Lord, in this world that's, that's, that's so disorganized. Can you teach me? By honoring my father and mother, can you teach me uh, Humility, and to live under the authority of others. Uh, God, in this world of injustice and hatred, can you teach me to honor life, real life of others, and to learn to really love my neighbor? God, in this world of unfaithfulness, can you teach me through sexual purity, to keeping sexual intimacy where you have ruled it to be. Will you bless my life by enabling me as a man to be sexually faithful to my wife? Will you enable women to be sexually faithful to their husbands? God, in this this world of dishonesty, will you teach me to love the truth? God, in this this world of, 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 of thievery, will you teach me to not steal, but rather to work so that I can give. God, in this in this self-obsessed world, will you teach me to be content with what you have given to me and be thankful that others have what they have and be content with what, with what I have, you see. So he prays that God will enable him to learn God's righteous rules, his judgments, his standards, 
And then he says in summary, I'll keep your statutes. And then verse, the end of verse 8, he understands the opposite of the blessed life. And he says, do not utterly forsake me. He says, I know that if there's only two ways here. Uh, there's the way of being blessed and there's the way of being cursed. I understand the covenant. So keep me in it. Enable me to be faithful to it. That's, that's his prayer. And you know, that's exactly what we learn in our lives with Jesus. He is our righteousness. And he says to us now, live that out. Right? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He says, you realize your need. But then he says, now blessed are the meek. That is, once you realize your poverty of spirit, once you realize that you need forgiveness of your sins, then, then it, it does something to you. Something changes in you and, and you become a person who's meek, that is a person who's humble, as you live your life out in front of others. And, and then he says, uh, blessed are those then uh, who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You realize that, that this means a change in my life, that I'm to live this out, this work of God in me, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, that I'm to be merciful. That I'm to be pure in heart. That I'm to be a peacemaker. And that I'm to rejoice even when I'm persecuted. That's the blessed life, you see. That's the blessed life. Remember when Jesus talked about what it really means to... to to, to live a, a, a life that's grounded and founded and thus stable. He used that illustration, that parable of the, of the wise man and the foolish man. And he says, you know, the, 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 the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. And when the, all the rains and the wind come, his, his house is, is destroyed. But the, when he builds his house on a rock, uh, then when the rains come and the winds come, he's stable. And he says, you know the difference between the two, don't you? The difference is that the wise man has these words of mine and keeps them. That's the difference between the two. We see that throughout the whole scripture. We see it, for instance, as we read through the book of Romans. and We read Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11. And it lays out for us what Christ has done for us and who we are in him. And then beginning in chapter 12, he says, now this is how you're supposed to live. We saw it in Ephesians as we worked our way through Ephesians, all those uh, number of, 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 of weeks and months and so forth. The first three chapters lay out who we are in Christ. The last uh, three chapters tell us, now, what does that mean for us? How does that define how we're supposed to live? It isn't just one, it's the other two, it's both. Both and. It isn't one or the other. It's both and. This is who we are. This is how we live. You want to live the blessed life. You want to know that life. Live it out. That's the message here of the psalmist. Yes, it is by grace. It's not self-righteousness. But we know that Christ has come. How does, how does the Apostle Paul put it in Titus in chapter 2, um, verses 11 and 12? He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. He says, well, that's it, isn't it? The grace of God has appeared. He's brought salvation to us. And what does this do? It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. We're supposed to live this out. And so the psalmist says, it's how you walk. This is the blessed life. Oh, it comes from what God has done. 
But it proceeds then by the power of his grace that we would then live this out. And we know that it's because of Christ that we're blameless. For the psalmist, he had a lamb or a goat. He had a priest, an altar. And God is saying through that, uh, you've sinned, but I'll take the penalty for your sin out on this one who is unblemished. But it's an animal. And the one who sacrifices it is just like you. And on an altar. And All right. But then Christ comes. And he says, he's, he's a man. He's a human being. And I'll lay your sins upon him. And the guilt of your sins upon him. And he'll take it. And he'll go to the cross. And he'll pay it. And he'll rise. So Jesus comes and he says to his disciples. After taking bread this and breaking it. He says this is my body. Which is given for you. And in the same way he takes the cup. And again after giving thanks. This too he gives to his disciples. And he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. The apostle adds, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. What are we declaring? Well, at least this. We're declaring that when he died, we died. We're declaring that when he rose, we rose to newness of life. A blessed life a life that because we're blameless in him he says now in covenant with me in the context of the world in which you live which you will know all kinds of struggle and all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of affliction some from without some within through all of that I want you to know that there is a way of blessedness in your life because you know that you belong to me you know it because Christ has made it And now live it out. Follow me. Learn from me. Trust me. Live as I call you to live. And you'll know a life that is blessed. Let's pray, Father. Pray for all of us as we begin this time of thinking through bits of this psalm at least and that we would learn how to live really live in covenant with you blamelessly that when we sin we'll be honest and confess it and receive your forgiveness And we'll pour out our hearts in prayer that we might learn your ways and walk in them. And that our lives would be a testimony 
to a blessed life. Oh, not a testimony to a wealthy life or testimony to a healthy life or testimony to an easy life, but a testimony that almost confounds people because they look at us and they wonder, how can they have such hope? Ah, the blessed life. Please may we know it. And so now I pray that you would set apart this bread and this juice in such a way that we would know that we're in the very presence of this one who is blameless, this very one in whose presence we're in is the one who has loved us and given himself for us, this very one. Because of his life and his death and his resurrection, we realize that we can now walk forgiven and in newness of life. So please, as we come to this table, may we know that we belong to you through him and that nothing can separate us from the love that you have for us in him. And that if you are for us, who can be against us? And that you would give us the grace to walk in the blessing of knowing that we belong to you. And this I pray in Jesus' name.